You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. Tonight we're wrapping up the series by talking about loneliness and longing. And we had to, we had to talk about this tonight, right? It just made sense. Um, and in particular, we're talking about um, like longing for a dating relationship or longing for that kind of relationship. So just so you know, that is, that is where we're going with it. But one thing we've done with the series is we're, is we're not trying to dismiss feelings. We're not trying to like ignore feelings or um, overlook them or forget them. But one thing we're trying to do is we're trying to take our feelings and uh, kind of process them, bring them up against truth, truth from God's word, truth uh, of what he declares to us, and try to line up our feelings against truth and figure out how we're supposed to respond to our feelings. Because feelings are real. They're not always reliable. We shouldn't always depend on them or, or just live based on our feelings. And so that's kind of what this series has been about. That we've been trying to let the truth rewrite sort of our feelings over time. Not that we shun them or overlook them or, or act like they're not there, but try to bring them up against the truth. And this is not ignoring the feelings or ignoring our heart, but not bowing down to those things either. So we're trying to like, by doing this, trying to guard our hearts, trying to inform our hearts so that eventually as we feed our hearts and our minds truth over time, our feelings begin to line up with truth more naturally on their own. They begin to reflect what is true uh, and not what may be tainted or even sinful because of our sinful nature. So we're going to try to figure out what truth can we go to to help us figure out how to respond to feelings of loneliness, feelings of longing, and specifically for longing for a relationship. And now, like I know that there's a lot of loneliness that we can feel that is not tied to a relationship, you know, a dating relationship or a romantic type of relationship like a longing that we feel for relationship in general, just for community, for people to do life with. And we are going to actually hit that, you know, and you probably recognize some of that in yourself, like a desire just to be in with people, to be part of something, not to be left out. Uh, you, you want to be in the end with everybody else and not feel left out. So we are going to actually speak to that as well as just the dating stuff. Actually, I think a good bit of this is going to be talking about, like, finding fulfillment of our longing and alleviating the sense of loneliness that we feel uh, just in general and through other means than just a dating or a marriage relationship. So don't check out thinking that this is all about dating because it's not going to be all about dating. Uh, But we are going to start with that desire for an exclusive relationship with somebody because that's a real desire. It's a real feeling that we have, a longing for that. And a longing for marriage is a real feeling for most of us. I can remember what it, is, what it was to feel that before being married, to long for a marriage relationship, long for that, long for a dating relationship, long for all those things. But hopefully we're going to come to understand these desires a little bit more and these feelings and, and where they come from and um, you know, where the, the ultimate fulfillment of those things come from as we open up God's Word. So there's a place I want us to go at the outset to set the stage for us. It's toward the outset of our Bibles, toward the very beginning. Okay, and What we're going to do tonight is we're not going to be in one set passage, which I love personally. I love taking a passage and just trying to walk through it and go, okay, what do we see here? But tonight, the nature of the thing is that the Bible doesn't talk about dating. 
you know, it doesn't have a, a lengthy passage on loneliness specifically or this sense of longing. So we're going to take spots. We're going to go to some spots in the Bible and, and try to sort of piece together, like, what truth can we bring to the table when we have these feelings? So Genesis 2.18 is where we're starting. Genesis 2, verse 18, says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man, the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And I think this is where we can trace it all back to. <clears throat> you know, this explains why we don't want to be alone. God says it's not good. God says it's not good that we would be alone. This is why we want to pair up. This is our history. This is what's behind the desire for us, I think, to pair off and be in exclusive relationships is because our first parents were, right? And God looked at Adam and his state without Eve and said, it's not good that he be alone. And God is revealing a felt need for him, you know? So when we want that same thing or long for a relationship like that, a man and a woman kind of relationship, our longing is not wrong. It makes a lot of sense, you know? But it can become, if we let it, the driving force behind all of our actions. You know, like, like any desire, our desire for exclusivity or like an intimacy of relationship or a closeness, you know, that can be where our temptations to sin arise from. It can be a desire that sort of rules us and all of our life centers around trying to have that relationship or trying to keep that relationship or find that person or whatever, try to get that relationship to marriage. And that desire can end up being the place where we're drawn out to sin. We're drawn out and, and tempted to try to satisfy those desires on our own terms and according to our own understanding and thereby sin against the Lord. And so here's the first thing I want us to know. First point for tonight, the desire for marriage is good. It's a good thing because marriage is a good thing and it points to something even greater. So the desire itself is not bad. Yes, it can lead us to temptation, it can lead us to sin, but the desire is a good thing. The desire for marriage is a good thing because marriage is a good thing and points to something even greater. There's no doubt that God gave marriage as a gift to us. It's a gift. And I know that in our world, um, in our world we look and, and we see a lot of broken marriages. You know, it's hard sometimes to look at marriage and the state of things and marriages maybe that you've witnessed or you've watched and go, mm. you know, it's hard, hard sometimes to be like, that's a gift, but it's a good gift. It's a good gift that God has given us and it's something I think a lot of us long for. And there's a reason that we long for it, because it's a good gift. And it has practical purposes, too, obviously. In the beginning, when there was only a man, how are we going to get any more people, right? And so there's a practical purpose to having, hey, it's not good that man be alone. We need to give him a wife so that there could be more people on the earth, right? But there's this enduring reference to marriage throughout the Bible. And the marriage type of relationship as a way that God chooses actually to relate to his people so there's a further meaning, further purpose behind marriage itself that it points to the kind of relationship that God wants to have with his people. You know, we can go to a place like Ephesians 5. So Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, just part of a larger section where Paul is laying this out. But he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he's referencing there something that is said in Genesis chapter 2. And then he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so marriage is meant to point to the kind of relationship that God wants to have with his people. And so in that way, it's a good thing, right, that this means marriage, particularly between believers, can and should proclaim the gospel to the world. 
that the world would know the way that God loves us by looking at a marriage that is faithful and enduring and persevering. And this relationship can communicate the gospel in a way that no other relationship can. Marriage can communicate the gospel in a unique way that no other human relationship can communicate it. It doesn't mean that unmarried people can't portray the gospel through their relationships. It doesn't mean that an unmarried person can't portray the gospel in their own life, just in the way they walk and, and walk with Christ. Absolutely they can. It doesn't mean that the church can't be uh, a, a totally separate and even uh, more full representation of the gospel for the world, because it can be. You know, the church and Christian community, the Christian community that exists within it can portray the gospel in a way that even a single marriage can. So it's not to say that marriage is the only way to portray the gospel in a relationship. It's just to say that it is a unique way of portraying the gospel. And, and by, this, by saying that, I'm just saying what God has said through Paul, that it, it's a mystery that is profound, that it represents Christ in the church. So it's perfectly normal to desire that because it's a good thing. And marriage is also a way that God shapes us to be more like Christ. You know, when you do life really closely with somebody else, your flaws are revealed. It is a way that God can sanctify us and and bring us to become more and more like Christ. It's a great thing. I am married, and I love that. It is a good thing. I will say it's a good thing to the day I die, and it's something to be desired for sure. But marriage is not the end game. It's not the finish line. It's not... It's not the primary priority goal for us, particularly as believers, because it has a greater purpose. It points to something beyond itself. It points to a greater reality. It's not a finish line for us. Jesus said there wouldn't be marriage in heaven. So it's not the ultimate thing. Matthew twenty-two thirty. 30, it's not on the screen for you, but he says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. There's only going to be one marriage in heaven. That's between Christ and his bride, the church. So our relationship with him will exist, a covenant relationship for all eternity. But these individual marriages that we might experience on this, in this life will not continue into eternity. So they're not the finish line. So we don't want to put, put marriage up on this pedestal as the priority thing that we're after because it's not going to be an eternal thing. We want to focus more on eternal things. There's more than just marriage. There's more to God's plans for you than whether or not you will marry. So it's a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. It points to greater things. And I want to say this too. Second thing, the Lord alone can and will satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. No person can do that for you. You know, there's not this whole like, you complete me vibe. You know, no, no other person, you know, that puts, that puts a weight too large on somebody else to say that I need you to complete something in me that is missing or I need you to satisfy all of my desires. No person can do that. You can't live up to that for somebody else. There's only one who can and will satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. Speaking of this will satisfy, we already referenced it, that there, there would be one marriage that exists forever. And we, we fast forward all the way. We, we went to the beginning of the book. We go to the end of the book and go, Revelation 19. Revelation 19, we read about a marriage supper of the Lamb. And it says that blessed are those who are invited to the feast. And, and so, again, there's, there's, there's not going to be any longing for relationship in our eternity. 
There's going to be a, a fulfillment, a full satisfying of this desire for relationship, longing for relationship, longing for intimacy and closeness. We're going to have it forever. And it's not going to be in marriage, but it's going to be perfect relationships with our brothers and sisters of Christ. We're always going to be with the Lord. We're always going to be with his people. We're going to know him, and we're going to know one another in a way that we couldn't even begin to imagine here. Or we can only begin to imagine, only begin to experience in this life. We're going to know each other so well and so closely. We're going to know him so well and so closely that there's not going to be any longing there. He will absolutely satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. If not in this life, we know for certain in eternity. And so you might say, well, that's all in good for, for then, but what about for now? You know, it's hard for me to say, okay, well, I'm pumped about fu- the future or eternity, but I'm still living this life, right? I don't know what I'm supposed to do now, you know, about these longings. I want to say there's real contentment from him, from Jesus, that's enough right where you're at. There's real contentment in Jesus that is enough where you're at. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christ has been given to us as a guarantee that that day is coming, that we will be satisfied. We'll be, all of our longings will be fulfilled. We've been given the Holy Spirit to point to that day, and that Spirit lives in us right now, and he can begin to help us to see and feel and know that fulfillment even right now. The Holy Spirit begins to work in us to satisfy the desires of our hearts as he shapes our hearts to desire the things that he wants for us. You know, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself on the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself on the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that he's going to give you everything that you want. It means that as your heart's desires are shaped by him to delight in him more than anything else, he will satisfy those desires. Basically, he will give you himself. As, your, as the Holy Spirit works in you to reshape those desires so that you desire him more than anything else, he will absolutely satisfy those desires. And I think sometimes we don't experience a lot of our desires changing or much satisfaction in him because we keep seeking fulfillment of those like old, man-centered, selfish versions of our desires in those same self-centered ways. And what we may need to do is to confess our felt desires to the Lord. God, I feel this. This is what I want. This is what I think I want. And bringing those things to the Lord and, and be open-handed with them and say, I, I don't know that these are the things that you really want from me. So we submit ourselves humbly to him and admit where we might be, you know, almost accidentally self-centered. God, I don't know if these are self-centered. I don't know if this is just about me, but being willing to admit that to him and trust him with it and then simply walk in obedience in the day-to-day to what he has said. And then let him do what only he can do behind the scenes in our hearts. Let him shape our desires. So we simply walk with him through every circumstance. And that's the secret. That is the secret to contentment. <clears throat> Paul knew this really well, as well as anybody. He tells us in 1 Corinthians that he withheld himself from the right to marry for the sake of the gospel. He says that in 1 Corinthians 9, he says that he has withheld himself from the right to marry a believing wife for the sake of the gospel. Why would he do that? Because Jesus was enough for him. And that's not to say that if you, if you desire marriage, you're saying that Jesus isn't enough for you. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying the reason that he could say, you know what, I don't, I don't need that. I don't long for that in that way anymore is because I've been so satisfied in Christ that I don't reach out or or pursue that longing because I have everything that I need in him. 
You know, he's the one who penned those words that we quote so often from Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what he's talking about is, is contentment right there. Right before that, he had just said this thing about he knows the secret of contentment in all circumstance. And that is that he has everything that he needs in Christ. Christ was in him. And, and from Paul's perspective, his singleness was a gift. It was a gift. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 8. And this should be on the screen for you. <clears throat> I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. Seems like he's calling marriage and singleness both a gift. Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. Marriage is a gift, but also singleness is a gift. Paul calls it a gift, and he encourages people who can receive it to receive it. And if you can go on unmarried as a single person, then continue in that. And Jesus said something really similar, actually, in Matthew 19. So Matthew 19, 11 and 12 says, But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. <clears throat> I'm not going to get very far into talking about what a eunuch is or why you would become one, or how that would happen. But basically, it's to say that these people would always be celibate, that they would never marry. And he's saying that there are some who would consider themselves a eunuch, wouldn't necessarily have to become one physically, but that they would consider themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying, like, if you can, if you can receive that, you should. And Paul talks about, the singleness as an opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord in 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, I'm not, I don't think I have this on the screen for you. It says it in verse 32 through 35. Really interesting. If you want to go and read more on this and get more context for 1 Corinthians 7 and these things we're reading, you should go read all of the chapter <clears throat> later. But verses 32 through 35, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man's anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman's anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And what he's saying is like, if you marry, you're going to have some worldly anxieties, some worldly things you got to deal with and different level of responsibilities in that relationship. And it may be difficult. Your, your interests might be divided. You, you'd love to serve the Lord in some ways, but then you have these, you know, you, your now service to the Lord is by serving your family. You know, you honor the Lord in that way. And I think what he's saying is like, it's true, for one, that when you get married, and especially if you end up having kids, it changes the game for you. Like what you are free to do, what you're able to do, and, and how you serve the Lord does change. And what he's saying is like, hey, in this single stage that you're in. He's trying to tell people, if you're in this stage, don't worry about getting on to the next stage. Don't worry about getting married. Rather, be undivided in your devotion to the Lord. So take advantage of the stage of life that you're in right now. Because as far as I know, nobody in here is married, except for me. Okay, you're all in this place. Some of you are dating, some of you are engaged. But the thing is, like, you are still single until you are lifelong committed in a covenant relationship and marriage. So, Take advantage of the stage of life that you're in right now. Be fully devoted to the Lord with undivided devotion. 
while the list of responsibilities that you, that you deal with or, or that are on you doesn't include a spouse and a family. And enjoy this time and, and make the most of it. Paul is saying your singleness is a gift. And listen, I'm not trying to convince anybody in here that they should stay single for life. I'm not trying to tell you that that's, that's your calling. I'm not trying to be like, you know what, if head's bowed or something, you know, like, hey, if you feel called to singleness, raise your hand, I'll pray for you. That's not what we're trying to do. Okay, you may be single for now and you may not always be single. I think most of you probably desire marriage and that most people who really desire marriage probably end up married at some point, maybe later than you want to be. What I do want you to see is that your loneliness and your longing don't mean that you need dating and marriage to satisfy you or to give your life meaning. You don't need those things to fulfill those desires that you have. If God chooses to give you the opportunity to marry, great. That's a good gift from him. Enjoy that. Treat it as a good gift. But if you remain single for a while, maybe longer than you wanted, or if you remain single for life, recognize that that's a gift too. A gift from the Lord. And it's not that you're, it's not that you are destined to have said as a single person, it's, it's not good that you're alone. It's not that you are destined to be alone and, and not have the fulfillment that God wants for you. Because really, the reality is that in Christ, you're not alone. It's not destined of you that, that it's going to be said of you that you are, uh, it's not good that you're alone because you're not alone. In Christ, you're not alone. Not only in Christ, but in his body. There's a third point here. Your loneliness and longing can, be, can begin to be satisfied now in Christian community. Your loneliness and longing can begin to be satisfied now in Christian community. Look what Acts says. Acts 2, I'm going to read 44 through 47. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's going on here is the day of Pentecost has, has just happened. Okay? The, the Holy Spirit has fallen upon a bunch of people and they've spoken in tongues and they've heard the gospel in various languages and people have believed. So there's a new church. The, the church has just started right there in Jerusalem. And all these people have come to faith and they're experiencing this sense of real community together. Like something other than, than really what most of us have experienced out of church. Like it, it looks, it's almost like idyllic. And when I read this, I feel like I'm seeing some parallels to what the experience was in Genesis 2. A new kind of relationship in Genesis 2. Marriage, right? It's not good the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. They join together. They're united. They are together in all these things, and they are told to be fruitful and multiply. When I look here, I see people who are together. People are unified, sharing all things in common, and then they multiply and are fruitful. This does not sound like there's, there's something going on here that is similar to what God was desiring for Adam and Eve in the beginning. I think so. That if you see these things, and, and if the longing that you feel to be in a relationship is simply a longing for companionship and real community, then, then you might be able to experience that in the church, in Christian community. If what you really are longing for is to be cared about, to be recognized and valued, to play a, a role in something that is purposeful, 
something that, in which you can feel meaningful in a relationship with some other people, then Christian community and participation in the body of Christ can be a source of those things for you. And here's a couple of things I'm not trying to say. I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be dating and that you should just have Christian friends instead. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying, I think, that obsessing over dating or the desire to date somebody and ignoring Christian friendships is probably a waste of your time. If you're neglecting Christian friendships and Christian community with other people, pursuing this sense of like fulfillment of longing and, and not being lonely by, by dating, if that is your main goal and that's your priority and you're forgetting Christian community around you, then you're probably wasting your time. I'm also not trying to say that the church has replaced marriage as the fulfillment of God's declaration that it's good that, or it's not good that man should be alone. I'm not saying that the church has now replaced marriage. That's not what I'm saying. I want to honor marriage. God honors marriage. Jesus recognized marriage. Marriage is, is still the picture that he paints all the way through Revelation that it points to the relationship that he has with us. And it is a good thing. I'm not trying to apply that we no longer are called to multiply by getting married and having children. I feel like instead that for believers who marry, there's a both and here. Like I still need, as a, as a Christian who is married, okay, I still need Christian community. You don't get married and suddenly graduate out of the need for Christian community. Just because you have one person that you feel really close with that you can share all, life, all of life with doesn't mean you need, don't need other people to share all of life with. In fact, that would be a really unhealthy marriage if you only turned inward and didn't have outside relationships. I still, as a married man, need Christian community around me, not just my spouse. And another part of this both end is I should, I should still be fruitful and multiply by having children as well as by sharing the gospel and making disciples like the early church was. So it's, it's kind of a both end. What I'm trying to say is that marriage is not the only way to live a fulfilled life. Marriage is not the only way for it to not be said of you that it's not good for you to be alone. Because you don't have to be alone even if you're not married. You know, marriage is not the only way to, to feel a sense of closeness or intimacy with other people. It's not the only way to live a fruitful life and raise up other people coming behind me. Like you can right now experience real closeness of relationship that's non-romantic with people in the church and Christian friends. You can have a deep sense of Christian friendship and, and a sense of belonging that is, it's not right now outside of your reach. Most of you aren't going to like go out tomorrow and get married. Okay? You're not going to suddenly have that. But right now, you can live in a real Christian community with people that satisfies those desires, belonging, and that, that, that sense of community and need for relationship. You know, and, and if, by saying that, I'm not assuming that, like, you're going to suddenly not even want a dating relationship and understand that you still want those things or that you're never going to feel lonely or a sense of, uh, of longing if you have really good Christian community. I'm not going to say that you won't experience those things still. That's why I said you'll begin to. You can begin to experience these things. Because I know that it doesn't happen immediately. And, and as long as we live in a fallen world, we're going to have some conflicted feelings. And our community is not going to be perfect. The people that you do life with in your Christian community are not going to be perfect. They're going to let you down. You're going to let them down. We're not going to be perfect until we're with the Lord forever. But it's still worth investing in right now. And there's still more value in that than sometimes we give, give it credit for. So we need to have a real connection to the body of believers. 
to a Christian community in which we can begin to experience some of the satisfaction for the desires that we feel or longing that we feel for what we would call, you know, I'm, a long, I'm longing for a dating relationship for marriage. Here's the hang-up in all this, though. There is a desire that people feel that is not going to be satisfied in their minds in Christian community. What do we do about the desire that people feel to experience sex? Because you, you don't just, like, have sex with your whole Christian community. You know what I'm saying? So if that's the thing that you desire most out of a dating relationship, yeah, you're not going to experience that in your Christian community. Okay, and, and so I know this is, could be an awkward thing, but there used to be this running joke. I don't know if you all have experienced this or in conversation. Maybe it's just a guy thing. I don't really know. But I can remember back in like, I don't know if it was high school. I hope it was at least high school and not middle school. We had this conversation in a small group one time where it was like, man, I'm so ready for the Lord to come back, but I hope he doesn't come back before I get married because I want, I want to experience sex. And, I, and that was like a legit thing that all of us were like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. And I don't know if you've ever thought that or ever had that conversation with other people, but I remember being in agreement with that statement when I was like a teenager, you know? But here's the thing. Looking back, like what a foolish thought. What a foolish thought. As if sex could be better than being with God. So here's something I wanted to communicate. Final point here is that sex is a good gift within marriage but good gifts don't make good gods. That probably sounds pretty familiar to some of the other things we've said in this series. We've talked about desires not making good gods, feelings not making good gods. So it kind of fits with some of the other stuff that we've said, that God's good gifts cannot be elevated to the place where they rule your life or they're the thing that you are centered around and you're just pursuing that. That's your priority number one. It can't be that. We can't let our life be dictated by a desire for physical intimacy. We can't let our desire for a relationship, a dating relationship, be driven by that. We can't allow our dating relationships that already exist to be driven by that because they don't make good gods. You know, we live in a culture that's elevated sex to the, to like the priority role in, in social life. The movies we watch, the, the media that we see, the music we hear, so much of it is just elevating sex and just like making it synonymous with even attraction or you know, it's just like a thing that you do, and it's, it's not connected to anything of significance. So they, you know, they'll say if you are attracted to a person, then you should have sex with them. And if you get close to a person, you know, what's to keep you from fooling around just to figure out if there might be something more to that relationship? You know, and, and then if you're dating and not having sex, there's something wrong with you, with at least one of you or both of you. And so obviously it's hard for us to consider a life of singleness in this culture where we'd never have an appropriate chance to experience what everybody else is doing. It's hard to have a Christian sexual ethic and say, I'm, I'm going to reserve that only for marriage. And you can start to feel like you're going to miss out on something. And the thought of like going on and, and being single all of your life or being single longer than you want to be and having to wait on that even more can be difficult because it's such an elevated thing and it's such a... Uh, a popularized thing, and I want you to not believe the lie that you can't live without it. That there's something less than about a life where that never happens. For that matter, I don't want you to believe the lie that 
a life where you never get married and build a family is less than either. It's just not the case. The Lord knows those who are his, and he has good plans for us. If marriage is not part of it, then you can trust that he knows what you really need and is providing it in a way that maybe you can't see just yet. Because sex was meant to be a uniting thing within marriage. It's a good gift, the two becoming one flesh. It's a good gift in the way that uniting a man and a woman who have covenanted together through a physical act represents like a holistic joining of the persons. And it's good in that way. But taken outside of that context, sex so often leads to isolation. The loneliness that we're trying to get away from, maybe by chasing the desire for sex, is only making us more lonely. It's isolating us. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 called sexual immorality a sin against our own bodies. Because good gifts taken out of context lose their purpose. And rather than bringing joy and peace and blessing to our life, they take away. And so often, doing that particularly outside of its context, what God had created it for, leads us to shame and it isolates us from other people. Even the people that we're in relationship with. And you might say, okay, Sean, I get it, okay? I'm not going to have sex inside of marriage, or hey, I've already messed up in that way, but I've repented of that, and I'm, I'm good. I'm going to keep going until, until I get married. And you may be like, okay, can we be done talking about it now? But here's why I'm trying to, to lay this stuff out to you. I want you to see that sex itself, even in a future marriage, is not the answer to your loneliness or your longing. It's just not the ultimate thing. It's not something you should put your hope in. And it's not a reason you should pursue marriage. Now, I will say, i got to admit that Paul does in 1 Corinthians talk about burning with passion. He says that if you burn with passion, you can't practice self-control, then you should just go ahead and marry someone or marry the person that you're betrothed to. He talks about that, but I don't think that he means you should just get married to have sex. That isn't priority number one. That isn't the goal of getting married. I think he's trying to say that if you know that you can do without, then you should consider being single. If you know that that's going to be a struggle for you, it's okay to pursue relationship. But you don't pursue relationship for that. That may be a good gift that you get to experience after having that relationship and covenanting your marriage. But listen, sex won't exist in heaven either. If marriage doesn't exist in heaven for eternity, then sex won't either. And so we don't need to chase after or idolize something that's not even going to be a part of what eternally satisfies us. If we could be eternally satisfied through marriage, you know, in the sense that we think of it, or sex, if we could be eternally satisfied through that, then we wouldn't need eternity, right? Or if that was what is necessary for satisfaction, then it would have to exist in heaven, right? But it doesn't. And so we don't need to idolize these things or chase after them as if it's going to eternally satisfy us when it won't. So what do we practically do with some of this stuff? I, I feel like I've said a lot of things. What are we supposed to do? Make the most of the season you're in. Don't rush off into the next season. You're never going to have this much time for friendship ever again. That's a sad reality. I'm not saying that you can't make good time for friends when you get older or when you're married or when you have extra responsibilities or when you have kids, but it's harder. Make the most of the time that you're in. The season that you're in is a gift. And maybe you're alone more than you'd like to be. 
Maybe you don't have as, as many good close friendships as you would like to have, and you spend too much time alone, or at least more time than you'd like to, to spend. What if, instead of being like, I hate being alone right now, you invested your extra time in things that mattered? What if you invested time in the Word and in your relationship with the Lord? Give Him your undivided dev- devotion, because you're not divided between that and another relationship. What if you spent more time with the Lord and, and were intentional about who you're becoming in this season? Becoming somebody that, that somebody else would want to marry, right? You don't do it for that reason. But ultimately, if you want to marry a Christian, both of you need to have a thriving relationship with the Lord for your relationship to thrive. So thrive in your relationship with the Lord in the time that you have right now. Lean on, lean on Jesus when you're feeling lonely because he is there. I know that you can't see him. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you can feel him, but he is there. You are not alone. Don't mindlessly scroll your phones looking at the lives of others, wishing that you had something else to do or wishing that you had somebody else's life. Just get up and do something. Make the most of the time. Don't wish it away. I'd also say this. Invest in Christian community and make disciples. Feel lonely? Do something about it. Pursue people. Pursue relationships. Pursue community. There's not enough intentionality in relationships today. So be an instigator of community. And some of you are like, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't do that. Come on. I'm an introvert. I have a hard time doing that too. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but that we don't need it. And if you strike out trying to instigate community or trying to uh, get people together, then just keep swinging. You're never going to, you know, get what you want out of these things if you just sit in your room or you, you isolate yourself. You're never more free to serve others or get invested in other people's lives, or even in the church than when you're single. So make the most of the time. And the last thing, lean on the Lord. He knows your feelings. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows where they're at today. He knows where he's going to get them through his Holy Spirit. He knows these things. Psalm 38, 9 says, Oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. He knows. But he also knows how he intends to satisfy the desires of your heart. He knows the desires, he knows how he's shaping the desires, and he knows how to satisfy the desires. Psalm 107.9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. You can trust him to do that. So will you trust him to do that? You know how I know that I can trust him? Because he came and he did what he did on the cross for me. And if he did that for me, coming back to Romans 8.32, Write it down, look it up later. Says in effect, if he was willing to do that for me, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? You can trust him to satisfy the longings of your heart and through ways that he knows how he's doing it, even if you don't know how he's doing it. 